Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk. I am so excited for you to join me for today's episode. Today I have a very special guest with me, Jillian Marmo, who is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. So Jill, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So I just introduced your name and all your fancy titles, credentials, but can you introduce yourself a little bit about your background and what you do? Um, so again, you introduced me as a licensed clinical social worker, licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. Um, most of my background has been working in community mental health, specifically substance abuse. I've always been like the substance abuse counselor role wherever I was. Um, recently in the last year, I actually opened my own private practice. Um, so now I'm in private practice, um, currently, and that's basically where I'm at right now. I love it. I've heard so many people like just before the pandemic or like during the pandemic kind of switching over to private practice. And I don't know what your program was like, but, you know, going through graduate school for me, it was always like private practice is what you do like when you're old and retired. (laughs) But I feel like so many of people in our generations are like going into private practice and opening their own. I definitely had the same experience. And like, I was basically told, like, I'm going to have to have like three jobs to survive. And I just, you know, I didn't want to do that. I love, I love, love, love community mental health. And I miss it dearly. I miss the clientele. Um, I work by myself. So I definitely miss having like coworkers. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely think I made like the right decision for myself. And that's what I've heard from people. I don't work in private practice. I work in a hospital. Um, Private practice hasn't ever been really something I've wanted to do at this point, but I've never heard someone regretting going into private practice um, from other settings. So I'm glad to hear that it was the right move for you as well. Yes. Yes. It's like, they're like my clients, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and now I've been in it a year, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, it's our like anniversary. You know what I mean? I tell yeah. them and they like, ah, it's cute. So kind of speaking of your clientele, what are your clinical populations of interest? So I work with um, teens and adults, basically like 11 and up um, specifically I love working with LGBTQ um, youth. Most of my caseload right now is teenagers um, and like young adults. I try, for some reason, I don't like working with people older than me. I really prefer to work with people younger than me. So it's like a very like specific like niche of people. (laughs) I can totally relate to that. So one, we're literally the same age by like a couple days. 
He literally, which is so funny. <laughs> like we're at, like, I'm a couple days older than you. Um, but I feel the same way. Like once I, and I, obviously I work in a children's hospital, but our adolescent medicine clinic that I work in goes up to 24. But like when people are getting closer to my age, I'm like, Oh, but you're an adult too. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I don't have the knowledge and expertise to work with other I know. I I feel the same way. I have one um, client who is LGBTQ, who's like 76 years old and is just recently accepting himself. And like, oh my God, it's like, he's just an amazing man, but. Mm -hmm. But very different than your. Very, very, very different. So today we are going to be talking about um, LGBTQ plus individuals and particularly like discussing mental health and addiction in the LGBTQ plus community. So can you share a little bit about how you started working in addiction? I know I'm kind of going back to you were talking about um, your work in community mental health and then with LGBTQ plus individuals and then why you're so passionate about working with them. So it mostly obviously like addiction has always been a passion of mine um unfortunately i have like a lot of family members who suffer from addiction sorry i have like a tickle in my throat you're fine <laughs> um i have a lot of family members and like i had friends like as teenagers who went through it um literally like using opiates not even realizing that like this is like a complete epidemic you know what i mean like no idea um So that's kind of like where my passion started. And, um, you know, I got an internship at like uh, a substance facility near me. And like, I just loved, loved the clientele. Um, And then eventually I'm LGBTQ myself. um, So I started working with LGBTQ plus individuals. um, And I was just like this is the population I need to work with. Like, I feel like I need them and they need me. (laughs) I love it. I love hearing through this podcast or meeting other mental health individuals online, like yourself, or even just people I work with, like kind of what led people to where they are. And I feel like I've said this on the podcast so many times that I feel like every single person I know that has gone into mental health has their own story with it, whether it's their own struggles, whether it's seeing other people struggle. Like, I don't know a single mental health professional that didn't go into the field because of something in their life, whether it was directly within them or within people that they love. So thank you for um, sharing that with us. Of course. Thank you. So I guess kind of getting into like the meat of what we're going to talk about today. Can you talk about different mental health outcomes in LGBTQ plus individuals compared to cisgender heterosexual individuals? Because as somebody that also works with LGBTQ plus individuals, like, and anybody that is familiar with the research in the field, we know that there are different um, health outcomes, but do you mind touching on some of them or what you've seen from your experience in your practice? Um, so, I mean, just from my experience, my practice, I think that the, the odds are stacked against LGBTQ individuals, unfortunately, you know what I mean? Like they have so many more battles to get through when it comes to mental health, especially if they have mental health and addiction issues, you know what I mean? Um, on top of what they already go through, um, 
so you know what I mean they face discrimination um it's awful you know what I mean compared to cisgender heterosexual individuals absolutely and I love that you just brought up the discrimination because one thing I talk about a lot is people will see like oh well LGBTQ individuals have higher rates of depression. It must be because, you know, they're LGBTQ plus. And it's like, no, it's actually what you just highlighted. They have so many other barriers, like the discrimination, hate crimes. Um, I live in the South, so non-acceptance yeah. <laughs> from it's very different there. family members. I mean, as we've seen in the news too, like just laws and policies being passed or attempting to be passed that clearly are anti-LGBTQ. Like how is someone's, especially like looking at everything that's happening in Florida, how is someone's mental health supposed to be good if you're not allowed to say gay in schools? Like, I don't understand. How is, how are they supposed to be well? Hello. Would you like to learn to meditate? Or perhaps you've meditated for quite some time. I started around 50 years ago. As you know, meditation is good for lots, including stress reduction, letting go of anxiety, self-exploration, and ultimately awakening. If meditation or awakening interests you, check out my podcasts on Awakening Together with William Cooper. All of them are free. Both the description and the link are in the show notes of this podcast. Oh, and just the coverage of it. So mm-hmm. even like like you just pointed out in Florida, neither one of us are in Florida, yet I know it's something I've talked about with my clients. I don't live in Florida and you know, Texas laws, Florida laws, like and I don't live in a great state for LGBTQ plus individuals, but it's something that is coming up in my sessions because even though it may not directly impact the individual I'm working with in the sense of like the law is not affecting them because we're not in the same state, it does impact them because they're hearing about it. And okay, if this state passes something, what does that mean for our state, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Especially since, you know, which I know this is completely not, but since the abortion, you know what I mean, ban, everyone is scared that gay marriage is going to go away. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know what I mean? And again, I live in New Jersey, but still people are scared that that's not going to be a federal law anymore, that that can, that we can get married, that gay people can get married. It's, it's scary. Absolutely. And I mean, that goes back to what you were just saying, like these extra barriers that um, individuals face. Like I am married to a man. I have never questioned if my marriage and, and a white man at that. So I will say as a white person, I am married to a white man right. and I have never had to question if my marriage would be taken away or become. Right. Illegal. And that's just an added stress that people should not. And I hate the word should, but I'm going to use it in, <laughs> in this context, like should not have to worry about. So yes, no wonder that their mental health is suffering. If you have the constant worry of is the can the person that I love B 
be taken from me, not be able to visit me in the hospital when I'm sick because our marriage is no longer legal. Right. Or I think of the trans individuals I work with, like, is it safe to me for me to go out in public? What if somebody outs me? Like there's true threats that cisgender heterosexual individuals don't have to face. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything else on um, mental health outcomes before I ask about addiction specifically that you wanted to touch on? No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. So, and addiction is not something that I am super um, familiar with. I mean, I know my basic stuff from like graduate school, but I've never worked in addiction. So are there differences in addiction rates in the LGBTQ plus community compared to individuals who are cishet and then giving your knowledge of addiction? Like, why do you think that is? And it might be repeating some of the stuff we said. Absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, there is um, higher rates of addiction in the LGBTQ youth, uh, especially the youth. Um, but in LGBTQ, LGBTQ individuals, um, just in general, um, again, I, I know, I know your thing is quoting research. I don't have, I don't have the articles to quote, um, um, but you know what I mean? I know they have higher rates because again, you know what I mean? They are, they're experiencing shame. They're experiencing discrimination. Um, again, a lot of them don't especially you know ones that don't even really know what's going on with them and don't know why they feel that way and don't understand it because they live in such a cisgender heterosexual world where their parents you know really like don't um accept it Mm -hmm. again if I go back to you know this client that I'm currently working with um Jewish married to a woman you know what I mean so not accepting in that community and they don't accept themselves right now. You know what I mean? Like I'm the only person in this person's life that accepts them at this point. You know what I mean? And it's heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking that at 76 years old, you know what I mean? Like it's taken you this long to do it and like great shape. So like he's going to live so long, you know what I mean? And, And I keep telling him like, how, how do you want to live the rest of your life? Do you know what I mean? And like, I know that's hard, but what do you want that to look like? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, do you want to keep using, you know, like to mask everything that's going on in your life? Mm-hmm. You just hit on a couple things. So what you just said, like using to mask, like addiction for an this is me being a non-addiction specialist, so call me out, correct me, is often a coping skill Oh, absolutely. Um, for trauma, for anxiety, depression, all of those things. And one thing you said without saying the term I'm about to use is that internalized homophobia, like not accepting of yourself. And you kind of touched on it when you're talking about like the people that don't even know what's going on. They know they feel different they don't like how they feel. So substances are a really easy way to not feel anything. Mm -hmm. Especially when you think about trans individuals who who really don't know what's going on with themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And another (coughs) that I was thinking about too, which you didn't really say, but 
you know, non-accepting families. I think of especially trans and other LGBTQ youth, but especially trans youth that get kicked out of their homes because they come out. So then you struggle with homelessness and we know homelessness, mental illness, addiction are all highly correlated. Individuals may get into certain, um, whether it's prostitution, gangs, things like that to get money, make ends meet, survive. Then we see addiction and those types of things as well. And I know you didn't touch on that, but my brain was kind of. I know, I know. And it's funny because I, I should have touched on that because again, how can someone work on their mental health when they are homeless do you know what I mean like your basic needs are not being met so how are you going to be able to work on anything else oh exactly and one thing that you're obviously a social worker I love about the social work field that I feel like clinical psychology does not do as great a job on is focusing on like those systemic factors like yeah I remember working, this was years ago, when I had to work with adults <laughs> when I was in grad school, because you have to work with everyone. And, yep. you know, this woman came to me like, you know, much older than me. So that imposter syndrome, but, you know, chronic pain, depression, anxiety, like all of these things that she wanted to work on, but she couldn't keep the lights on in her house. And, you know, me being, you know, a young, bushy-eyed, bright-tailed or bright-eyed, bushy-tailed mental health professionals trying to do all the skills like on chronic pain, on depression, and they weren't going anywhere. And then I had to take a step back to realize like, if she's worried about keeping the lights on, she's not going to be able to do these higher order skills. If she's worrying about where her next meal is coming from, she's not going to be able to focus on her depression because as you just said, basic needs aren't being met. And so that's going to contribute to poor mental health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um anything else you want to touch on on addiction No, honestly the I just wanted to say though um (laughs) Miley Cyrus actually I don't know if you've ever heard but she has um it's called Happy Hippie Foundation and it's actually a foundation for homeless LGBTQ youth okay I will have to write that down and uh put a link in the show notes of this episode um so thank you for shouting that out. Um, so what are some common misconceptions or stigmas you hear about mental health and addiction in the LGBTQ plus community? I think that the some of the misconceptions are, especially when it comes to like addiction, is like, why LGBTQ individuals use um, like to be promiscuous or to party um, like things like that. And you know, that, that that's all they do basically Mm -hmm. is just party and use drugs. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because like when you just said that, I was like, Oh, I've definitely heard that. And that makes sense. But that was not the first like thing that came to mind, but it is so true. You think of like, and I mean, I don't know if that's media, maybe you can speak more on this, but like, I'm just thinking of, you know, raves and people using like more ecstasy, MDMA, that kind of stuff. And that's probably a certain subtype of people that like to party, (laughs) but that's Mm -hmm. not everybody. And the um, promiscuity thing as well. 
Um, so I appreciate you highlighting that. Yeah, absolutely. Where were you, where were you going with it? So my first thought was kind of what we already, um, touched on a little earlier was that, you know, people have these quote unquote problems, issues, mental health concerns because of their identity. And I know we talked about like using substances to probably cope with maybe some internal stuff, um, questioning, you know, where, who they are, you know, why they feel this way. But like the one I hear a lot and especially in youth, and it could be just because I'm in the South as well is like, oh, well, you're, you know, depressed because you're gay. And it's like, oh yeah, no, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's not, it's all those other things. Especially coming from the parents. It's always coming from the parents. Yes. And you just need to pray. And you will. (laughs) I think I just elicited a visceral reaction. (laughs) um it's just I I love working with the youth but that is the hardest part of working with youth and making that decision to work with youth is working with parents Mm -hmm. and parents you know I love you it's not that I don't but some of them you know what I mean are just awful yeah absolutely awful the things that they say how they treat their children um you know I had one lady come into my office and she looked around you know and there's so many rainbows in my office and it's so welcoming you know what I mean and she just you know I could just tell it was not her cup of tea and Mm -hmm. she was not thrilled that I was not what she expected yeah but her daughter loved me so I still get to see her so it is what it is but it's very 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 hard working with the parents I think that they make it very hard on their children um they have so many expectations of them um especially ones that are trans Mm -hmm. absolutely and I see that as well I would say I feel like I'm slightly more fortunate because the office I work in the adolescent medicine office where I see most of my LGBTQ plus individuals, we like very much advertise ourselves as being LGBTQ plus affirming. So usually by the time people come in the door, they have affirming parents or guardians, not always though. Or I, I see more so like the half supportive, like I love my child, but I don't accept their lifestyle. And I hate saying that though I hate that those words just came out of my mouth but I'm repeating what has been right because it doesn't make sense correct (laughs) um so I see that more but in the hospital I definitely see especially like when I see suicide attempts of LGBTQ plus um youth and then you know you hear stories of well, you know, I came out to my parents and they told me they were going to disown me. Or, you know, I remember one from years ago whose parents were like looking into conversion camps. And I was like, all ready to bring all my research. Cause you know, I love my research, but to yeah, basically, literally, um, but yeah, it just hurts my heart. Even oh, it, Yeah. And unfortunately I live in a state where conversion therapy on minors is not banned yet. Um, because I live in the South. Um, so I love that you brought up parents cause it is. And like you said, I love parents too. And I, I feel like most parents do want to do what is best for their kids. And sometimes that means stepping out of their comfort zone and educating themselves. 
Yeah. Um, because if you truly want what's best for your child, disowning them, saying horrible things to them is not the the best thing for them. Um, it's even um, in some cases that I've seen um, partners, partners that don't really? want, oh, yes, um, that don't want their partner to transition. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that but I also probably don't work with people that go up it, as yes as yeah, this is someone that's a little bit older yeah um and just it's it's difficult it's very difficult oh absolutely absolutely um so <laughs> tying into all of that I mean just I, I'm thinking of now like parents as I'm about to ask you this next question, but what are some barriers that LGBTQ plus individuals face when it comes to seeking treatment for their mental health and or addiction? And I'm sure there's so many. I mean, I think the biggest one is just not being able to ask for help, not feeling like they can reach out and ask for help. Um, Mm -hmm. Even just from having my online platform, like the number of DMs I get from younger people just saying like, how can I see you? I can't ask my parents for help. Like, can you help me? Do you know what I mean? And, you know, unfortunately I I can't, you know what I mean? So it is what it is, but it just, it breaks my heart. You know what I mean? Or when I finally get someone in my office, who's like, I've been asking for this for so long, you know what I mean? And now like they're at their breaking point basically. Yeah. No, asking for help. And then I've also run into, and this could also be the location I live with. They finally do ask for help and they unfortunately don't get an affirming. Right. They get declined. Yeah. Um, And I mean, then we could also go into just like healthcare disparity. And I know that's my like nerdy research coming out, but like there (laughs) (laughs) there are healthcare disparities between LGBTQ plus individuals and cishet. And yes, like explicitly, you know, people may have policies that say like, you can't discriminate, but we know they do. And we know that LGBTQ plus individuals are more likely to be underinsured or uninsured. And then we talked about homelessness. If you're homeless, you're not going to have health insurance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to afford (laughs) mental health care out of pocket either. And again, being homeless, that leads to an increase in addiction an increase in prostitution and increase, you know what I mean? Because you're, you're doing what you need to do to survive stealing, you know what I mean? Committing crimes, um, all of these things. Yeah. Which you just saying that, and I could be totally off base on this, but I feel like I read something recently that in the United States, the like prison system is the number one provider of like mental health care at this point or oh, something. That, that wouldn't surprise me at all so don't quote me on that listeners but like I read some, like and I mean and I know when I was in graduate school like going to a primary care provider is usually the first like step and primary care providers provide more psychotropic medications than psychiatrists do in the United States because mm-hmm. accessing psychiatric care is not accessible and not saying that I mean in my mind, some care is better than none, but primary care providers aren't necessarily trained to manage these things understandably. And that's not a dig at them. I know most primary care providers don't want to be managing 
psychotropic yeah. medication. But when you hear that they're managing, you know what I mean? Like bipolar medication, you're like, what? Uh-oh. Exactly. And it's like, but what is the person supposed to do if they can't access yep. true mental health care? Mm-hmm. And they I mean, do. And I, I say, I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm definitely not mad at you. I'm glad you have the care, but it's just, it's unfortunate that it has to be that way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, going back to what you said about like asking for help and your online platform and things like that, I've seen two just like, I'm thinking of a patient in particular, but like parents that don't want their kids to seek care from an affirming therapist, like, oh yeah, you can get therapy, but it's going to be from a provider I choose. And that might not be the best fit. Right. Most likely not the best fit. Not always. Some parents might, you know, pick a great therapist. Um, But yeah, that's another barrier I think of. I didn't even think about that. Like having, you're right, having the parent be the one that chooses the therapist. And uh, again, insurance, you know what I mean? Like so many. That's why, again, going into private practice, like I had to take insurance that- I had to for myself because I just, I needed to make it a little bit more accessible than, than self-pay because I don't know how people afford to pay that upfront, even if they can get reimbursed. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And that's something that applies to all individuals accessing mental health care. But as you know, we were just talking about a few moments ago, just having insurance is, um, less likely in LGBTQ plus individuals Mm -hmm. for all those reasons that um, we already listed. But yeah, insurance is a huge barrier, finding provider, long wait list. I will say, and I don't know if you do telehealth in um, your practice or just do face-to-face at this point. I do both. Yeah. I will say like a lot of people don't like telehealth, but it has opened up opportunities for people like you're in New Jersey. So somebody could be, I don't know how big New Jersey is. Like my, my geographical skills are very poor, but like somebody a couple hours away yep. in your state receiving care from you versus mm-hmm. I have which, a couple like students who go away to college mm-hmm. um, a couple hours away in the same state, luckily in the same state. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's another thing, you know what I mean? I have clients who I've had to lose because they go to college and I can't see them in another state. and. Yep. Yeah. Not it's not fair. In conclusion. We're waiting, we're waiting for the counseling compact law. You know what I mean? We're waiting yeah. for it. Yeah, I was gonna say, in conclusion, the mental health system is broken for everyone and even more so for, so for yep. Uh LGBTQ plus or other minorities. Like we're not even addressing other um minority groups as well. So so what advice do you have for LGBTQ plus individuals who are trying to seek treatment or help, not even treatment, if formal treatment is not accessible for their mental health or addiction? So finding a therapist, uh, finding other groups that are affirming, any advice or tips that you have now that we just like made finding mental health care seem so like inaccessible? Honestly. I had um, online, um, it's an Instagram account. Um, it's called LGBTQ and all. Um, I can I can send it to you, but they reach out, they reached out to me and they did like a listing for me since I'm an LGBTQ therapist. And it's literally an online resource 
that has all LGBTQ therapists, like all over the world. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, and different resources, um, their online site. So that is usually like when people ask me, um, you know, like where they can find like resources or help, that's usually where I refer them to their website. I'm not sure of their exact website off the top of my head, but I know that that's their Instagram where you could find it. <laughs> awesome. I'll make sure to um, link that in the show notes as well. Um, I love that resources mm-hmm. like that exist. Cause I mean, I know people are like, Oh, you can go to psychology today, but like the amount of people that list like 17,000 things that they specialize in. Exactly. Exactly. Is astounding. Exactly. Um, if mental, like true mental health care therapist is not accessible. Do you have any, like, even just like words of advice or encouragement for people who are trying to work on their mental health? Honestly, I just tell people to stay strong that it gets better, especially the youth, because like one day, like they will be an adult and they will be able to make their own decisions. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, as hard as it is, I always tell, I always try to tell people like, reach out to your teachers, reach out to parents you feel safe with, even if it's not your own, reach out to your friends that you feel safe with. Um, again, I know with TikTok and all of the TikTok therapists, you know what I mean? That's become like a great resource for a lot of people who don't unfortunately have access to mental health care. Mm-hmm. So one thing I heard in that is just like finding a, a community. So even yeah. if you're not you know, um, able to seek, um, formal mental health care at this moment in time, um, finding a community, whether that be in person online. And I mean, I know like, yes, online can also have its negative, um, impact, but I feel like for a lot of people, um, especially like I have found with my, like, queer autistic clients or like queer and some other um, minority status clients, they have found a lot of community in the online space, especially living in the South. Um, And another thing you just said that I love that you said is like, you will be an adult, especially to the youth. Um, I actually got a question that I haven't answered yet on TikTok from a youth that was like, how do I come out to my parents? And you know, I I've been kind of mustering on it, but one thing like I tell my clients that feel safe enough to come out to me is if it is not safe. And I would love to hear your thoughts if you completely disagree, but if it's not safe to come out to your parents in the sense that like you will be physically harmed, you will be kicked out, things like that, then I recommend not coming out until it is safe to do so. Um, that doesn't mean you can't come out to your friends or like a teacher except in certain states where they're passing laws like mine, that if a student comes out to a teacher, you have to tell the parents or guardians. Um, But like, if your safety is in jeopardy, don't. Um, So I love that you highlighted that because you will be an adult. Or even I think of some of the clients I have that are out, but like somewhat, and they're just like, I just can't wait till like I'm 18 and going off to college because then I can like really be myself. And I'm like, I'm glad that you see that future Mm -hmm. and have that hope. Because you can, once you're an adult, make your own decisions, find that therapist that is affirming, move out of your small town or wherever. I feel like being a youth, it feels so permanent, but like, it's such a small amount of your life. Like you really don't realize how small of a period it is in your lifetime until you get a little bit older. Mm -hmm. And I I know I sound old saying that. (laughs) 
No, I totally like relate the fact that I don't know if you feel like this with your teen clients because seeing that we're literally the exact same age. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that like, I'm literally double your age. Like that was like half my lifetime ago. Mm -hmm. And it just like, it seems so important. Like whether it's prom, whether it's, you know, whatever those like life milestones were, like, it seems like high school lasted forever. And now I'm like, when was that? It's actually interesting because um, we just in in my community, I, I live and work in my community. So and I went to school here and we just lost um, a teacher, like a, a an amazing teacher. Um, he passed away very unfortunately. Um, and it affected me because he was one of my favorite teachers in middle school. And then having my clients come into me crying about, you know what I mean? Yeah. It like felt like it was just like coming full circle. You know what I mean? It was a very, very, very strange experience having that happen this past week. Well, I'm really sorry for your loss. And yeah, it has to be because as, and, and you say this, I say this on our platforms, like we're humans too, yep. but in the therapy room, we also like, we have to be human, but we're there for the client. But I'm sure that yeah. has a whole nother layer of things when you're like, I'm grieving the same exact mm-hmm. loss. And I feel like that's sometimes like why you need affirming therapists, you know what I mean? Especially like therapists who are LGBTQ and like identify that way. That's why I always openly identify that way. Even if people are like, oh, why do you share your sexual orientation? Because I don't need people assuming that Mm -hmm. I'm heterosexual. Yeah. Yeah. So Jill, as we wrap up, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you want to touch on that's coming up for you on your heart? Anything you want to share? No, but thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on. And it was nice to like actually spend some more time talking because I know we talk like online yeah. frequently, but it was nice to like have this like dedicated yeah. um, time to chat with you because I know we have some overlap in our passions. So it was nice to sit down. So the last thing I love to ask all my guests is where can people connect with you? Uh, okay. So you can connect with me on TikTok and Instagram at spooky.therapy. I love everything Jill posts. I discovered today, shockingly, that fall is not her favorite season. No. <laughs> Literally when you posted that, I was like, everything I have known is a lot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, very Halloween, Halloween should be in the summer. That's it. I love that argument that you, you made when I reached out. I was like, well, wait, hold up. <laughs> everything I have known about Jill <laughs> doesn't yeah. make sense anymore. But um. <laughs> Great content, great relatable um, posts, and obviously a lot of LGBTQ plus stuff, a lot of dancing. I love your dance. Yes, yes. We have to dance. Thank you so much. Yes, and thank you, the listeners, for joining for today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you learned some valuable information, and go follow Jill if you haven't already on social media, and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, 
I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.